Welcome to the Mind Speaking Podcast, where we talk about the human side of data. In other words, data, communication, and personal development. My name is Gilbert Eikelboom. I'm driven by curiosity, and my aim is to spread insights that you can apply in your life starting today. So, let's do it. Let's start Mind Speaking. Today in the Mind Speaking Podcast, I'm talking to Scott Burke. Scott has a PhD in statistics. He's also a professor of data science at CUNY. He has 30 years of experience and has authored four books about data science and AI. I'm asking him, what are the common pitfalls when companies try to adopt AI, data science and analytics and how to make AI programs successful? He's also talking about presenting to non-technical people and I'm asking him because he has four children and even a few grandchildren, how they look at him, how they see him as a dad that knows so much about technology. So without further ado, let's dive in the conversation with Scott Burke. Hi Scott, exciting to meet you and exciting to talk to you today. Hey Gilbert, good to meet you as well. Yeah, I've been looking forward to this. Yeah, me too, me too. And where I usually start is asking people where uh, they grew up and what type of person they were in high school. So can you tell us a bit about that before we jump into the data? Um, so I grew up in Central Texas in high school. I was um, it, uh, uh, kind of a rebel. <laughs> I, I was very involved in athletics, uh, not that studious. However, growing up in Central Texas, it was pretty easy to make straight A's. Uh, the, the, the curriculum was not overly um, difficult. Uh, so I, I had a great high school life. Um, yeah, a lot of fun, a lot of good memories. Uh, I wouldn't trade it for the world. I probably could have been more studious um, for, to prepare myself for the universities, but, um, but it all worked out. I think I had a really good balance. Um, so, yeah. And, and you, you mentioned you, you were a bit of a rebel. Do you, do you still see that side in you when, you when you look at your career? or Because it can be a very positive trade as well, right? To stand out, to innovate. What, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, that's, that's a great question. So I, I do see it as a positive side. And I think as you get older, you realize when you're being a rebel. When you're young and you're being a rebel, you don't even realize you're actually doing it. So um yeah, so so it's it's better to be a rebel when you're a little bit more seasoned than uh, th- than when you're a teenager, for sure. Yeah. So now you have much more self awareness about the, the the rebel side that maybe sometimes pops up, pops up and Correct. You can channel it in as something positive. Mm-hmm. Great, great, great to hear something about your your background and how did you end up in data? What were some of the important decisions that you have made or that you made? Well, I tell people that I started my analytics career actually as an analytic chemist, so <laughs> which is certainly different than what we talk about in analytics today. But but the quantitative side has always been there. Um, I, I went undergrad as a chemistry biology double major. Um, and then my first gig was analytic chemist. And uh, then I started programming a lot at the lab that I was working for and then got involved in computer science. And then from computer science um, uh, in the lab, started a graduate program 
uh, in business finance, but on the quantitative side of finance, not the, the qualitative side, um, capital markets, uh, that, that sort of thing. So then I went uh, to work for Texas Instruments and did a lot of computer science. And then after about five years, got an itch, wanted to go back to school. And that's when I really started focusing in to mathematics. And uh, I, since I had my master's degree, I was able to teach um, at Baylor University uh, and uh, work on a PhD at the same time. And it was in statistics. So that's really when I started really kind of the nuts and bolts of uh, my, my career. But I believe in lifelong learning. Um, the whole time in, <laughs> that I was working uh, professionally, I was I started a program, actually a little bit of an interesting story. Um, I went to a class for what's now um, IBM Modeler, right? So it was SPSS at the time. And so the instructor, we were, he said, we were, we were learning SPSS, but he said, hey, look, I've got this really cool software that we just bought and it was Clementine. And, and it was the first visual, uh, visual platform with objects that you could drop down into a canvas. And so he goes, you know, this is a very expensive software. I won't, I won't quote the number, but it was, you know, in the t uh, high range, uh, you know, tens of thousands of dollars. He said, but if you take a class at Connecticut State University, you can get this software for 200 bucks or something like that. And I said, I'm in, I'm gonna just enroll. And so I started taking classes and uh, ended up just getting, you know, uh, another degree in, in, in data mining. So it's really kind of interesting that the statistics versus the data mining um, view of the world. And so, but again, I believe that tools are, uh, are to be used um, and you need a broad uh, tool chest to, to pick and select from. So, yeah. Right. That's that's a really interesting uh, journey you've you've made, and and eventually um, you wrote several books on data, AI, data science, and one of the one of the series is named "It's All Analytics," right? And that's correct. And you also talk about uh, common pitfalls about uh, that that organizations see or experience when they try to adopt data science, AI, analytics. What what are those? common pitfalls what do you see there so one of the pitfalls is that um, organizations are very functional many organizations are very functional right and so you have different departments speaking different language so really you know uh, an example Casey Panetta had an example where you know you might be the, the, the finance department might be speaking Spanish the uh, HR department might speaking be speaking Portuguese. The you know the marketing department is speaking um, English, etc. So you have all these different ones. So it, one of the pitfalls is that every organization should have a baseline of data literacy or analytics literacy where people can communicate, right? Because organizations are definitely moving towards being more analytics driven, right? AI and analytics are, are driving a lot of ROI in companies, and it has such a potential, um, really. Uh, we're just scratching the surface of, of what we can do. So we need a foundation in being able to, to speak to that. 
And then really there's, there's three pillars that need to come together in any organization to be successful. And one is the, the organizational design itself, um, how the organization, what the culture is of the organization and with the structure to support that. Um, and then another piece is the data design piece. And then the third piece is the analytics design. So those three have to be fitted, fit together um, to be useful mm-hmm. in organizations. Yeah. 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 So I, I certainly see how those three pillars are, are important. And do, do you have any other um, ways or tips for companies or people that are listening that are trying to build AI programs or that are building the data science analytics capability? What else do you see as as important? Yeah, so I actually have a I, I could I could go on a long time on, on that question. So um, again, so the the first and foremost thing is to um, have executive support, right? Um, I've been involved with many different companies over the years, and one of the things that is is missing sometimes is a you know the corporate. Uh, Objective will be, you know, flavor of the month, and they'll roll out things. And when you when it comes to it, you've got to ingrain analytics and AI into the culture itself, right? So um, there's a couple of ways to do that to enable that. First off, is really is at the executive suite level, and we have a new book coming out um, this year that's specifically designed for the executive um, and, and leadership on that so it's a little bit of a different thing but you know designing a a center of excellence and having cross-functional assignment structure in organizations so you might have you might have you know the functional units themselves but the best design is if you have a like for example a center of excellence is is one design that you can have that matrix matrix c it's a matrix organization that combines across all those functional units right so if you have Mm -hmm. a central a coe um you know you can have best of breed and then you you can embed those those people across uh within uh, from a project standpoint another design is a center um um a community of practice, right? Um, some organizations are really doing this well, where they design a. It's not necessarily functional. Um, it is more of like-minded people coming together to solve and to educate. I just mentioned the fact that you've got to speak the same language. One of the ways that you can help enable that is through a community of practice, where you have functional groups coming in to a to a common core. Um, that common core has very specific objectives. The leadership actually incentivizes um, that through the organization. And uh, so, so that's another way that you can do it, do it as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as in, oh, no, go ahead. Yeah. What, what I see with many people in the business, you talk about speaking different languages and it's important to understand what you're talking about, right? What's the topic on the table and, what I see and hear is a lot of uh, AI and machine learning fl- flying around. And many people are confused with the terms of what is the difference. What is the simplest way of explain, uh, simplest explanation you've heard or used to distinguish the two? Yes, so there are a lot of terms that, that, that uh, float around. Um, 
in addition to those two, how everything from statistics, data mining, um, machine learning, AI, et cetera. But the, 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 the question is that the, the difference between uh, machine learning and AI, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, AI is an overarching term. Uh, well, I'm not going to give you a simple answer. Maybe I'll get to a simple answer. So that's been around since the 1950s, right? So AI was developed in, in, in the 50s. And, and it, it tends to be an overarching term, right? So it includes machine learning. Machine learning is a subset of, of AI. So that might be the simplest way to put it. Um, you know, all ML machine learning is AI, but not all AI is ML. And so AI can include um, much, much more, everything from even decision-based rules, right? So, you know, rule induction where machine learning is about algorithms uh, being trained to, for, to answer specific problems. Mm -hmm. Right, right. I think that's pretty, pretty clear and pretty simple. I've seen a lot of different explanations on the internet and everywhere. So I think this comes, uh, this comes pretty close, but um, you you mentioned a bit about the, the past, about the 1950s, but also I would love to look ahead, not 70 Mm -hmm. years ahead, but let's look five years ahead. What, where, where do you see the market of data science, analytics, AI moving in the coming five years? Sure. So we've already seen some, some great uh, advances in, um, you know, advanced pattern recognition, right? Image recognition. I think that's just going to continue to expand and it's going to democratize, right? So I had a conversation this week with a group of mechanical engineers. They were not trained data scientists. Obviously they were smart, um, had no formal training, but they were using Python to develop some really nice uh, algorithms. And it's because of the libraries. It's because we have so much knowledge that's available at people's fingertips, right? Everything through, you know, um, you, you know, YouTube, uh, the MOOCs, the, the massive online courses that are available, et cetera. Um, I think the next advance, some companies are doing it, is streaming, right? So video, right? So video is much, you know, it's, it's taking that image recognition and, and pushing it in, um, and you obviously have to have technology to support the, the video streaming, the information that's coming in, the recognition. So an example of that might be, you know, smart cities where you have cameras along the streets that are identifying potential uh, collisions or, or wrecks or, or problems. Um, so I think that's going to be smart cities is going to be a, a big, big um, opportunity across the globe. Um, so and streaming in general, right? So just faster and faster data with quicker and quicker decisions. I think we're going to see that over the next five years, plus people that never had the ability because lack of coding experience or a lack of uh, background, they're going to be enabled to do things that they never thought that they would be able to do before in the next Mm -hmm. five years. Yep. Right. Do you think people that have not learned how to code yet should still learn how to code? Absolutely. I think it's, you know, and I, I, whether it be mathematics or coding, I, I think that this skill is, is useful, but more importantly, it's the way your mind starts to rewire to think, right? I mean, 
you know, if you get into coding and everything, it, it's a beautiful, right? It, it's it's a way to get lost um, very easily because it's it's so well. It can be frustrating, but it can be very gratifying as well, right? Um, you know, you get in the zone essentially, um, and so yeah, I, I I think it it's a good skill, but it's also good just for your brain. Hmm. Um, yeah, your mental process and, and and making you smarter overall outside of coding. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it helps you to think analytically, I guess. And, mm -hmm. and I, I speak a lot about um, the other side as well, combined with technical skills, and analytical skills, also communication skills, what, what do you see as the role of communication skills in in data? Well, it's, it's paramount, right? Because if you can't communicate results, if you're, you know, an analytics professional or a data scientist, uh, or modeler, there's no way that you can you're not going to get very far without those communication skills, right? So, and there's different levels of those communication skills. Obviously, there's just the the the, the basic um, communications, um, but there's the storytelling, um, which is becoming very popular. Uh, we write about that. Um, the dashboards, the visual, you know, especially business leaders, they they want to see dashboards. They want to see see it visually, right? So visual storytelling is, is extremely important. Um, but I'm also, I, I, with a word of caution, we have to be careful that we're not putting in, or we're not just cherry picking what the, the story, right? We have to give the complete story as well. Um, and I have a, a quote that I really like is, torture the data long enough and it will admit to anything. Um, and you can do that very easily in, in analytics and AI. You, you can cherry pick, select the, the parts of the story that you want to tell, leave out parts of the story that you don't want to tell, go into the boardroom and, um, and really kind of mess things up for the long term. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think it's, it's, it's becoming a really big topic in, within data and also AI. You know, what you do with the data, how you represent it, because for sure you can really mislead people and guide mm -hmm. them towards the, the decisions they actually don't want to make. Uh, but just right. because you show the data in a certain way, it's, yeah, it pushes them in a certain direction, right? Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And then the last piece is to make sure that the, um, that the, the math supports the assertion. What I mean by that is you mentioned the, the reason we love visual dashboards is the fact that over thousands and thousands of years, we've, we've evolved into being able to quickly recognize patterns and see things in, in, in pictures. Um, so that's, that's beautiful. At the same time, we also make up patterns that we think are in the data and uh, you know, they're, they're not really there. So, Again, I think you need the mathematics and the statistics to say what is truly meaningful and, and what's not. And then a combination of the two, um, that, that just, to our earlier point, that just makes sure that you're telling the right story, right? I mean, mm -hmm. is it, is it, and, and there's a difference of statistical significance and practical significance. Um, and, and along, and aside with that is we try to tell stories in our books. Right. So instead of trying to make it just, you know, here's AI, here's, you know, uh, machine learning, here's whatever. 
um, we, we have little vignettes. And the reason for that is people, people love story and it makes it more interesting. And um, yeah, one, one example is where Netflix developed a, you know, the million dollar prize. They had a million dollar uh, algorithm that, that they knew that worked. And so this is where the, the objective significance or statistical significance pairs up against the practical significance. They never, they never even used that algorithm because once they did the math, the, they knew it worked, right? Uh, it was a million dollar algorithm, but once they did the analysis of how much it would cost to put an engineer into practice, it, it just wasn't worth it. So you, so you need both practical as well as, as uh, mathematical uh, objectives. Yeah significance yeah and, and and the practical side is a big thing what i see with many um, machine learning ai projects that they fail because people produce something that might be good on paper but people just you know, don't use it because they they don't understand it or they, they don't appreciate it or it's not in line with what they need or it doesn't fit in the business processes and i think that's such a big big importance of big factor of being a, a data scientist to also understand that side um, we talked about uh, communication skills a little bit about data storytelling. You teach data science as a professor at CUNY. And I'm wondering to which extent do people, students, learn about communication skills and storytelling or developing a business mindset? So they, they learn it within the, the projects and everything that they have in the different, different classes. There is, a, there is a visual BI course specifically towards, you know, developing dashboards and analytics and, and best practices, the ways that, that you want to do that with different tool sets. Um, but CUNY is very much uh, project driven. So, you know, we, you know, you have to present your results. And so I think that's probably where it's done more than it, it's really a, a practice uh, area for getting into industry right because you're going to mm -hmm. have to do that as, as a and it, this is a master of science in data science so these data scientists are going to have to present to their managers to to executive leadership their results and pitch their story right pitch pitch you know what what they're what they've done and and um, why it's meaningful to the organization so it's really kind of embedded it, it's um other than the the dashboard visual bi course there's not a dedicated storytelling course but again it's part of it's embedded in, in pretty much each class mm -hmm. yeah fantastic it's great that they get such practical experience through the project work and and practice those communication skills or storytelling or visualization and uh, i think it's a really important important piece that that people need to need to develop yeah you know i, I mean retrospectively i didn't get a lot of that in my, no. my coursework. So um, yeah, we're, we're, we're learning, we're, we're getting better. How did you catch up? I mean, how did you adjust or when did you notice, Hey, notice, Hey, this is important or I, I, I'm missing a piece. So um, it was, it was trial by fire basically. Um, and between a combination of Texas instruments, uh, semiconductor, uh, company and a healthcare company I worked for. It was really the healthcare more than anything else because it was non-technical people that you were presenting to. So there was 
it, it really challenged you. And one of the things that I did personally, and I would recommend it to anybody, um, is I took a Dell Carnegie class where I learned to, to do, you know, public speaking, you know, and how, you know, it was, um, it designed, you know, they, they've been around for years and years and years. And, and basically, I never thought of it this way, but looking at it, essentially that, that course is about storytelling. It, it's really about creating a presentation and, and, and there's different objectives, um, but if it were to be boiled down, it really would be a, a, a course about storytelling. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, Dale Carnegie, uh, I know has a, they have a lot of really powerful courses. I really like the book of, of, uh, of Carnegie. It, uh, it really yep. changed, kind of changed my career. I, I read it when I started my career. So the very mm -hmm. first in the in the holiday, I went to Cuba. I brought a book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. So it's slightly different, of course, compared to what you're you were saying. Uh, but it's written by by um, Stephen by, Covey. By Stephen Covey, exactly. Um, and it really changed my perception. I thought it was a book about business because it was about effective people, right? But it's more about mm -hmm. how you uh, look at the world and how you see other people. Um, so I see quite quite some overlap in type of skills that data scientists need and what is presented in that book. And apparently also what you learned in uh, the Dale Carnegie uh, course. Yep, those are two of my favorite books. And, and I try to get back to those every couple of years and read them again because they're just timeless. I mean, yeah. just just great information. Mm -hmm. Something that is not timeless is, is technology and we see all the new developments and you, of course, uh, you, you, you have children. And you told me before we started recording, you even have grandchildren. So what I'm curious about is how do your kids or even grandkids, I'm not sure how old they are, but how do they perceive you? You must be an awesome dad keeping up with technology and knowing everything about the newest uh, things. Uh, well, I have wonderful children, all of them. And uh, however, you know, I think it's kind of interesting. Uh, and my wife could be, as well i mean it, it's almost like a separate relationship right so you know it didn't it wouldn't matter if i won a nobel prize i mean i'm just scott right to them i'm just i'm just dad um granddad um my my two grandkids are really pretty young so um but i think it'll be the same with them you know i i'm just there um as, as a supportive family member. Uh, so it's, it's really kind of interesting. It's a different, different uh, paradigm. I mean, yeah. I learned from all, I learned from all of them, uh, my wife, especially, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, when yeah. it comes to it, I don't take myself too seriously because uh, it wouldn't do any good. Yeah, that's, that's good. It reminds me of uh, an interview I read with Obama. He's, and, and they, they, they talk to him about his family and, and what he's saying is, is, that his kids make fun of him because he gets paid to for public speaking, right? And he's not a good speaker and et cetera. <laughs> so I, I, I see, of course, Obama is an amazing speaker, but yep. I see um, the, the parallel there where, where Obama also said, yeah, that the relationship with my children is, is very different. Right, right. right. All right. Um, we're nearing the end of, of this conversation. I'm having a lot of fun. What I would like to... Uh, talk about now is, is is your current work because uh, right now you're kind of making a shift making a bit more time right for teaching yep. for your book what would you like to share about that 
Sure. So um, after eight years in, in technology, specifically software solutions, I'm taking a little bit of a sabbatical. I want to take six to eight months off except for uh, teaching uh, at CUNY this summer and, uh, and writing. So I've got um, to, to finish up the third book um, uh, in the series. It's all analytics. So and we have a little farm outside of town. And uh, so I'm for the next six to eight months, I'm going to be doing a lot of physical work um, out there. Hot Texas summer. Uh, so, uh, yeah, just just trying to to get a little bit of balance um, and, and figure out what I want to do next. I mean, I quite honestly, I, I think I'd like to. Well, I have lots of book ideas, and I think one of the things that I'd like to do is is focus on um, design, problem design and problem solving, because I think sometimes we we've, we've done too much of trying to depend upon computational power to solve problems. And from my experience, a lot of it boils down to problem formulation and, and design. So I, I, I'm thinking that's where I might go, but who knows? I'm, I'm just uh, looking forward to having a little bit of time to, to think about next steps. Yeah, sounds good. Such a period of a, of a pause and having time to reflect and write sounds, uh, sounds awesome. And I hope it's going to work out well for you with lots of new ideas and working out your book. I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to that. What is one big takeaway you would like listeners to, to get from this episode? I think since this is focused on AI analytics, um, those people in that space, it is a beautiful journey for my, my, I mean, I've worked in every, um, I mean, I've worked in probably 10 different verticals, um, academic, non-academic. Um, and so data is something that permeates everything. Um, and data is a reflection of process. And, and the only way you're going to improve is to look at process and whether it be, data in your career or data in your personal life as you try to improve yourself. I mean, it's, to me, it's, it's a beautiful thing. Um, yeah. So wonderful. Thank you for yeah. sharing that. And the last question is where can people connect with you or follow you? Where can they find more about your books? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I, I have a website. It's allanalytics.com all together. Um, and then, um, or you can go to, to Amazon and, and just uh, put in, it's all analytics and, and the books will pop up. Uh, we have two more coming out this year, um, one specifically to medical and one specifically that I mentioned earlier to the executives. So have those two um, coming out and then next year we'll have the third book uh, for that. LinkedIn is probably one of the best ways to connect with me um, right now. Um, if Elon gets Twitter, I'm probably going to be more on, on Twitter in the coming year. Let's see. Then I'll create an account as well. <laughs> You're right. I don't, I don't have one yet. I, well, I, I, I don't have an active one right now. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks so much for making the time for everyone listening. Check out the books. Um, I will put the, show, the links in the show notes. Uh, thanks for making the time today, Scott. And I really had a, had a good time and learned a lot. And I'm pretty sure the listeners have as well. That's great. Well, thank you very much, Gilbert. I appreciate your time.
Thanks a lot. Speak yeah. soon. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Do you want people to listen to your data and increase your business impact? Then take my free email course or do the quick self-test of your data communication skills. Go to mindspeaking.com and start learning today.